Hello, and welcome to episode 67 of Killer Hangover. My name is Beth. And I'm Bettina. And this week we have paranormal and true crime stories from the state of Indiana. I have the true crime story this week, and mom has the paranormal, the beverage, and the guest. (laughs) All right. I know that you kind of looked at me weird when I said that we're drinking mojitos tonight. Yes, I'm very curious as to how Mojitos ties in with the state of Indiana. Well, okay, I have to be honest. I love Mojitos, okay? But I did not make (laughs) this up. (laughs) It's another excuse, just like sparkling with you. (laughs) It's one of my favorites to drink during the summer. But as I, you know, I look at those sites, what do most people drink in whatever state we're doing like what's the most popular drink in exactly and for some reason there's eight states in the united states that drink their most popular drink is mojito and indiana is one of those and i said okay here we go (laughs) there's my excuse (laughs) there's my excuse plus i happen to have some mint growing in my backyard perfect we got it awesome so we are drinking the classic mojito And we're actually taking this from a book that we have. So it's just a one and a half ounce freshly squeezed lime juice, one teaspoon sugar, and you mix those together until the sugar dissolves. Then five mint leaves, crushed ice, two ounces white rum, and one ounce club soda. Now the mint leaves, you add that to the the sugar and the lime and you muddle it. So you kind of squeeze it so the mint oils, I guess, come out into the drink. Okay. But you leave the mint in there. I personally like to chew on it, but, you know, most people don't. So anyway, that's up to you as to how much you want to muddle it. And I know that Alex probably wouldn't like this. So (laughs) I'm happy that Tommy is the pinch drinker tonight. Yes, Tom is the drinker tonight. Hi, Tom. Hi. (laughs) <laughs> I'm ready to drink. All right, let's drink. Enjoy your mojito. Okay. Cheers, sweetheart. Cling. That didn't cling very much because we're using Moscow mule glasses. I noticed. <laughs> the mojito's a Cuban drink or Caribbean. And, well, I know we've had them on the beach with some travelers that we went with. And... They make them really... Brenda. I was going to say, just some random travelers you picked up? Okay. <laughs> Ward, uh, Ward loves them. And he, he likes lots of them. But... Um, wow. Until he, until he gets called off the your beach, friend out there. And then he goes to something else. First of all, he doesn't so, want to say his name. And then all of a sudden, he's... <laughs> drinks a lot of them. <laughs> then he switches to something else after drinking those all day. <laughs> So one of the memories I have of um, the mojito is Bettina and I were on a trip in Miami and we went to South Beach and we were walking along Collins Avenue, I think it is, and uh, Art Deco District and walked into a bar called Mango's. That's right. And it's kind of an open air bar and uh, Cuban and we had uh, great mojitos. Uh, you know, they a lot of times they kind of make them a little sappy, sw- you know, sweet. Yeah, really so sweet. So that's, yeah. you know, this book is uh, Margaritas, Mojitos, and More. And I think somebody got it for me because they know I like to make margaritas. I was just going to say, it was the margaritas that pulled you in there, huh? So I still prefer <laughs> margaritas. Uh, <laughs> you know, they're... They go a lot <laughs> further than the um, mojitos. I can do about one mojito, and that's it. <laughs> a little too much mint. I'm not a big fan of the club soda. So Ward does the mojitos all day, and you're saying you do the margaritas? Oh, well, I don't know. <laughs> the funny thing about mangoes, if you ever <clears throat> get there, uh, I don't know where we're headed. They, They've got like two uh, horseshoe bars and um, oh, I you know, thought you were going to tell us something about the fruit. 
<laughs> oh. The restaurant. Hey, okay. okay. Funny thing uh, about so okay. In uh, it was closed <laughs> in December <laughs> with COVID, but the waitresses they'll take turns dancing on the bar. <laughs> right, Bettina. Yes, Tom, that is right. Mom, did you join the waitresses or? No, I just <laughs> drank a couple of these, maybe three even. They were the best mojitos I've ever had. So well, it sounds like Tom just really liked the waitresses dancing the on the bar. <laughs> so a lo- uh, this uh, book has a lot of different mojitos. You just you can add all kinds of different fruits. So I would probably well, can go you add mango. The- Yes. yes. There's a mango margarita. <laughs> of course there is. So there's uh, honeydew, watermelon, mango, pineapple, blueberry, uh, cantaloupe, strawberry, blackberry, kiwi. So Wow. Yeah. Fruit punch mojito. <laughs> well, you don't add it all together. Well, I'm, you can, it sounds like. <laughs> and then you're really going to be dancing up on a bar. <laughs> I would recommend uh, mangoes if, when it gets open. The bar. Are you getting paid for this advertisement, Tom? Are you sponsored? Oh, oh no. We we had a great time. <laughs> Sounds like it. You and your travelers had some great times. All righty. Well, well, are you going to bring us down now? I'm going to bring you down. Enjoy your mojito. Okay. It's time for a true crime story. All right. I'm sitting back. I'm ready. Thanks, Tom. Thank you, honey. Thank you. Okay. So I know that this is a smaller podcast, but I do know that we reach people. And this is another story that needs to be told and needs to be shared. It might be a story that you guys have heard before. It's been told on other podcasts. But like I said, it is a story that needs to be shared. We were contacted by a listener, Chris, and she asked that we get this story out there. And I wrote her back. I said, I totally agree. This needs to be shared. So here you go, Chris. Thank you for emailing us. And this is the case of the Delphi Girls. This is a newer case in the fact that it happened in February of 2017. The victims were two young girls, 13-year-old Abigail, or Abby Williams, and 14-year-old Liberty, or Libby, German. The crime happened in the small Midwestern town of Delphi, Indiana. The town has about 2,500 to 3,000 residents. Uh It was described the same way a lot of our true crime stories are. It's a tight-knit town where the doors are left unlocked and neighbors watch out for other people's children. It's a small, safe town. Abby moved to Delphi with her mother when she was about four. Abby and her mom, Anna, were really close, and Anna did the best to provide for her daughter on her own. She described her daughter as loving people, always being helpful to others, and Abby really loved the arts, music, and crafting. She really enjoyed photography, and she had a knack for it capturing photos in a very artistic, artsy way. She just had an artsy eye. Mm -hmm. The photography passion was one of the things that Abby shared with her best friend, Libby. Libby enjoyed photography as well as sports and the outdoors. Libby was exceptional in math and science in school, and at the young age of 14 was even taking some advanced science classes at the nearby Purdue University. Wow. At a young age, when her parents divorced, Abby and her sister Kelsey, as well as their father, moved in with her grandparents, Mike and Becky. Kelsey and Libby seemed to be very close to their grandparents, and Abby was just kind of one of the family as the girls grew up and grew closer. She attended family trips and spent the night regularly. The girls had a sleepover at Libby's grandparents' house on Sunday Sunday night, February 12th. They were excited because Monday, the 13th, was a built-in snow day, so they didn't have school. Nice, okay. In the morning, they woke up, had breakfast, and decided they wanted to spend the day outside. Good for them. I mean, that's that's awesome. Oh, what, what kids do that right? I know. Delphi is a small town, like I expressed before, and from what Kelsey, Libby's older sister, said in an interview to People Magazine, there wasn't much to do in the area for kids their age. 
I lived in a town very similar to that growing up. <laughs> and we were the same, though. We spent a lot of our time outside exploring the hiking trails. And, and that's exactly what Abby and Libby wanted to do that day. They wanted to go out to the local hiking trails. You know, they did geocaching, which oh, yeah. is something me and my <laughs> boys love to do even now, um, except when we got poison ivy. But that's another story. Just, but Abby and Libby just really wanted to be outside on their day off from school. And they wanted to go out to the trails and take some pictures. Like I said, they love photography. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. So they ask Kelsey if she can go with them. And Kelsey can't because she has to work. But if the young girls can catch a ride that get picked up, she can drop them off at the trails. So Libby sets up with her father a pickup time of 3 p.m. to pick them up from the trailhead. Okay. Kelsey drops them off at the Delphi Historic Trails, well, a little before 1.30. The Delphi Historic Trails is, is on some personal property, but the trails are widely used by the community for hiking and sometimes even hunting. It's an eight-mile trail system just outside of town. So Kelsey drops them off, making sure they take their sweaters with them since it's a bit chilly. As Libby closes the door, she tells her sister that she loves her. Then she heads out on the trail with her friend. While out on the trails, the girls take photos, uh, one of which Libby posted to Snapchat about a half hour after the girls arrived there. Mm -hmm. The photo shows Abby walking along the Monon High Bridge. It's an old dilapidated railroad bridge. It's about 60 feet above the creek. Oh, okay. And it's not uncommon for people to walk across this bridge, but you never catch me walking on a bridge like this. No, there's, um, there's, me either. <laughs> me either. There's no handrails. No Ooh. guardrails. It's just basically maybe six feet wide uh -huh. and then old railroad trestles. So like uh, uh, some uh, of them uh. are kind of dilapidated and yeah. Libby's family said that they had crossed it with Libby on some of their family walks out on the trails. Uh, Kelsey said that when she first, her first time across, she actually crawled across it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Abby's mom, Anna, wasn't fond of the bridge and had actually told her daughter that she didn't want her out on the bridge whenever they were mm -hmm. out on the trails the photo libby posted to snapchat was of abby out on the high bridge they're closer to the edge of the bridge but it's a beautiful photo of abby walking she has her hands in her pockets she's looking down it's v again they both just had this artsy eye for their photography and the girls just look like they're really enjoying their day of course Around three o'clock, Libby's dad calls to say that he's heading their way and he should be at the trailhead where they agreed to meet pretty soon. So she and Abby should start heading his way. But Libby doesn't answer. He gets to their meeting spot, waits a bit, then calls again. Again, no answer. He parks, gets out and starts walking the trail. Now, mm -hmm. again, it's February. There's not a ton of foliage. And to explain the quote unquote trail it's a trail. Some portions seem to have like a stone path to it, but others, it's not like paved. Right. Maybe I some gotcha. portions of mm -hmm. it are, but yeah, it's dirt and stone. And so he's out there searching for the girls for about 30 minutes before he calls his mother, Libby's grandmother, Becky, to see if she had heard from the girls. She hadn't. So she starts also calling Libby, repeatedly calling Mm -hmm. with no answer which was not like Libby at all I mean Libby was actually she was very reliable and very responsible and like a normal teenager she always had her cell phone attached to her hip sure so Becky becomes worried and calls her husband Mike who left work to go out on the trails to start looking for the girls as well mm -hmm. soon Kelsey even gets a call Libby's older sister right. and she heads out to help her family in the search Anna, Abby's mom, is at work and keeps missing these calls. They're kind oh, of playing no. phone tag. But the family's out there looking. Kelsey remembers chatting with another family member like, ooh, they're going to be in trouble when we find them. Sure. It just, you know, some family members think maybe they fell or maybe Libby's cell phone had fallen somewhere and they had gone down to look for it. You know, there's all these different scenarios playing in their head. And they have they, no idea. Right. Exactly. They're not they're not too concerned at this moment, but then it starts to get dark. And Becky knows that her granddaughter Libby hates being out in the dark. Around five thirty, law enforcement is called and a search is started right away. Good. The sheriff's department finally gets a hold of Anna, who heads out there for the search as well. Again, the police aren't too concerned at this point. 
you know, some of them are even telling the family, like, you know, the late night movie is going to get out around this time. We'll probably catch them coming out with two boys. Like, they're just, you know, they're just playing all right. these scenarios. But at least they're still looking, right? Oh, yes. They They jumped looking. in right away. Right yeah. away. Police do, I mean, police do a great job. This is another case that they really did a great job on this case. They jumped in right away. No questions asked. Not, ah, uh, we'll give us some time. They're just some teenagers. No, they go out there. And even when it gets dark, they all stay out there with flashlights. Wow. Looking for the two girls. Around midnight, police call the search until morning. You know, they're out in the woods. It's dangerous yeah, for everybody out there. But family and friends refuse to stop their search. And they continue to search a little after 3 a.m. Oh. That next morning, the search intensified. Not only was it family and friends now, it was several emergency responders, the Delphi Police Department, Indiana State Police, canine units, the Carroll County Sheriff's Office, a helicopter, and some dive teams, and a number of volunteers. They were all broken up into groups, all led by emergency responders. The family split up into different groups. Becky was in the woods. Mike went out on a canoe on the creek. And Kelsey followed her gut feeling to go with a group out exploring the area around the high bridge. After hours of searching near the bridge, Kelsey gets some hope when she hears someone yell out that they had found a shoe. Oh. And the person was asking what kind of shoes the girls had on. Around 1245, a firefighter started fo following a set of footprints, which is crazy to me because of the amount of people that were out right. there. But out under the high bridge near the creek, he's following these footprints and follows them about a half mile east of the high bridge when Kelsey hears more shouting. They had found them. Kelsey heads down the path that went under the bridge. Quote, I remember them saying there's two bodies. Oh, no. Not two people, not two girls, just two bodies laying across the creek. And I watched my grandpa collapse. And that's when I knew they were gone. Oh. Unquote. At 2 p.m., the police investigators hold a press conference. Libby and Abby's bodies had been found in Deer Creek. They suspected foul play, and the area was blocked off as a crime scene. Indiana police departments joined forces in the investigation of the double homicide. The FBI were involved right away, setting up a tip line. Autopsies were done right away as well, but the results are sealed, even to the family. Uh. Police did not want to release any crime scene information to the public, and they would not and have not released how the girls were killed. The first person besides the families that police investigate in question is the landowner, Ronald Logan. Like I said, the property was, was a privately it was private, owned property. Right? Mm -hmm. He owned the land and knew the land. He was questioned extensively. His alibi was that he was out driving trash to the dump that morning. Well, this got him into trouble because his license had been suspended from a drunk driving incident in 2014. Oh, so he shouldn't be driving. He was arrested for this and questioned even further in the murders, but he ended up having a real alibi. He was seen at a restaurant getting a few drinks. So, <laughs> And then getting into his truck. So he sentenced to two years in prison for violating his parole, mm -hmm. but he was no longer being looked at at the killings of Abby and Libby. Then on February 15th, so two days after the murder, police release to the public a huge piece of evidence from a very unlikely source. The evidence came from Libby. Libby had taken a video on her phone of a man, the man believed to be the suspect in the girl's murder. The video wasn't released to the public, but two grainy stills from the video were. Uh, okay. So, I mean, just how crazy. She was obviously in a situation where she didn't feel safe and she needed to take, she obviously must have been into true crime or she knew in her gut something was wrong because she took her phone out and she took a video of this man. Oh, geez. And I just, that just shows you how quick on her feet and how something in her gut, just always follow your gut, guys. Mm -hmm. Like something in her gut. She's 14. Like that's wow, unbelievable to me. But the video in the stills shows a white male in blue jeans, a blue jacket. He has his hands in his pocket and he's walking across the high bridge. Now, like I said, the bridge was only maybe six feet across. So people couldn't cross each other on the bridge. Okay. Um, one would have to wait off of the bridge for the others to cross. Got you. Mm -hmm. So the girls had come in contact with him and had, and like I said, something had told Libby to take this video. 
Her family said she had always been observant, and this video shows a young girl going with her gut and thinking fast in recording this man. The two still images are released to the media. More tips come in, and police continue in their search. The whole town is honoring the girls regularly. There was a memorial service at the girls' middle school. So many people attended, it was standing room only. The community came together and held a motorcycle memorial ride, a ride in celebration of their lives. Over 3,000 motorcycles rode through town in memory oh my gosh. of Abby and Libby. On February 22nd, police held another press conference, again, giving a little more information to the public, and again, mm -hmm. from Libby's phone. Wow. An audio clip. Here's the snippet the police released. I got this clip from abbyandlibby.org. So I know it's a little muffled. From what I understand, the audio is from that same video of the man walking towards them on the high bridge, which she captures. Okay. And then I believe she put the phone in her pocket. And so the audio is a little muffled because, I mean, don't expect this little girl is taking something in a scare, is taking this video in a very scary moment. It's going to be muffled. Yeah. But so now the public has this image of the suspect as well as his voice his voice right from hero libby herself now he is saying down the hill okay okay and there is a steep hill down from the high bridge leading down to the creek where the girls bodies were found oh so we obviously don't know the full dialogue but down the hill we can only assume he was directing them to go down the hill mm -hmm. at this time a reward fund is starting to be put together. $25,000 started by the FBI and another 10000 by the Indiana Packers, which I guess is a local company. It's a local mm -hmm. company there. Um, members of the community raised funds up to $96,000. Wow. And then former Indianapolis Colts punter Pat McAfee and the team owner Jim Earsay match the funds. Oh, my gosh. With the full reward money reaching $200,000. Wow. Again, more tips come in, but of they course. lead to nothing. And mm. you'd think, like I said, they have this audio. If you know somebody's voice, you know somebody's voice. And then you have a picture to go along with it. Mm -hmm. uh, and still nothing is clicking. Nothing. Yeah. And now you have this $200,000 reward out there, too. Exactly. So, Five months pass, and in another press conference, police release a composite sketch of the suspect in Libby's video. They also say that the sketch was made from a couple eyewitnesses. So people that had been out on the trail that day that said that they might have seen the man. That's how they okay. drew this up. Okay. Now, so. that kind of leads to my question. She obviously was thinking on her feet and, you know, but uh, so... There were people on the trail. It wasn't like it was an it was uncommon to see somebody. I don't think right. I don't think it's uncommon to see people out this trail. It's a used trail. It's a beautiful day, but I don't think it was very congested with people. Okay, I'm just wondering why that guy set her radar off. What was it about him? You know that she because she didn't she didn't tape everybody they passed. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. That's why it's so good for her. What something did this guy do that got her recording so i'm actually going to and again we're doing this virtually so you're gonna you're gonna lose me here but i'm i need to text you the sketch okay okay so i just texted you the sketch as well uh -huh. as the stills taken from libby's video oh he's an older guy i don't know why i was thinking a young guy the sketch shows an average looking white male between 180 and 220 pounds. And with this sketch, more than 40,000 tips come in. Okay. So police soon have a guy that they're suspicious of, Kevin Sellers. He's the suspect in another homicide case in Logansport, Indiana. Mm. He reported to have found the body of his uncle in their shared home. It was a supposed suicide. But investigators found this inconsistent because of the blood splatter. Mm -hmm. Now... Here's a photo of him, Mom. Ooh, that guy's creepy looking. 
Uh, I don't know. So he ended up being found to be the sole beneficiary of his uncle's estates. Uh He surrendered and confessed to the death of his uncle, but never had any ties to Abby or Libby in Delphi. So police start to focus on registered sex offenders in the area. Uh Uh-huh. And then in September 2017, as People Magazine put in their documentary, People Magazine Investigates, Season 5, Episode 4, The Delphi Killer, police find a man that checks all the boxes, Daniel Nations. I'm going to send you a photo of him now. Okay. Yeah, I'm not super convinced on that first one you sent me. It's similar, but I don't I don't see it. I can see that one a lot better. I mean, I can see the how it fits. Now, he was arrested out in Colorado with an Indiana license plate. He was arrested for threatening cyclists on trails with a hatchet. Apparently, oh. he was getting fed up with the cyclists speeding past his four-year-old son out on the trails. He was 31, was a repeated sexual offender. And I mean, I, I can see it in the sketch, you know, add a hat on there. And sketches aren't going to be right on, but I can see some similarities there. Like I said, I can see a lot more similarities between this guy than the first one. Yeah. Police head to Colorado to question this guy. And although he is a bad guy and checks all the boxes, he too had an alibi. He was at his wife's ultrasound appointment in Colorado. And he had no ties to either girl or Delphi, Indiana. Okay. Police try every approach they can think of in their investigations, checking on other local murders, trying to find similarities, but nothing exactly added up. There was another man, Charles Eldridge, a disgusting 46-year-old man who believed he was chatting with a 13-year-old girl to meet up, when really he was talking to an undercover police officer. I love when they do that. (laughs) get those pervs he was arrested for child molestation and solicitation again here's a photo of him the um the sketch just looks older than and the way that guy dresses and the hat and everything it just looks like he's older so this guy that you're sending me how old is he you said 46 or something like that mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah that's more say uh, uh, uh. he looks like the guy in the goonies <laughs> Yeah, he's not the most attractive man. Oh, my gosh. Uh, no, I'm saying no on that one. And and we'll post all of these pictures on our website so you guys can see them and compare them to the sketches. Because um, like I said, this is an unsolved case. So if you want to just take a peek and see what police are looking at and looking into. Mm-hmm. His family is interviewed and they told police that he was known to get dressed in camouflage bring his guns and go hang out in the woods. But he wasn't a hunter. He was just kind of a weirdo, according to his family. He was charged in the spring of 2019 for over 20 counts of child molestation. Oh, my gosh. But again, police found no links to Abby or Libby. And to this day, there have still been no links to the Delphi girls. The most recent information the police have released is interesting. This is the last picture, I promise, but they released another sketch. Huh? That doesn't look... I'm sorry, I just don't... So basically, they want to show people what the dude looks like without a hat on? I guess, but Mom, the sketches don't look anything alike at all. No, they don't look... That's what I'm trying to say. They don't look anything alike. The new sketch that they released looks like a man maybe be... Maybe be, maybe be in his 20s or 30s. 20s. I'm saying 20s. And the other guy looks end of 40s, 50s. Right. And I mean, from the still video, I would expect an older man from the hat he's wearing and just his size and statute. Yeah. Now, again, they say that this sketch is based on an eyewitness who saw the man out on the trails that day. But my goodness, like I said, it's totally different. They said that they had this sketch since the murders in 2017. So police said that they had this sketch since 2017, but chose only now to release it to get more information. They are not eliminating the other sketch. I mean, it's a sketch. A sketch is done from a person's memory. If you or I walked by the same man, you may pick up on something 
on a characteristic sure. and I may pick up on a different characteristic. So both sketches contribute to the same man. In the past, they released the stills from Libby's video. They've now released like a small snippet of the man walking across the high bridge. Mm-hmm. Maybe so that you could see his gait or how he walks sure. or how sure. he yeah. holds himself, but still nothing. And I think that's why I get so heated about this case. It's so frustrating to me because here are the sketches. Here are some stills. This is what this man wears. This is how this man walks. Heck, this is an actual photograph of the man. Oh, and by the way, here's a video. And do you recognize his voice? And no one can recognize him. Jeez. Um, Because the two men look so different. Could there have been two guys involved in this? They don't think so. They haven't released that. They do think it's just one man acting alone. And law enforcement in this area, they've really taken this case to heart. Mm -hmm. I mean, just you see how the community has gathered over the loss of these girls. They've really taken this case to heart. Hell, I think they've taken it personally. The whole community has. During the most recent press conference that I saw, the officer is calling the murderer out, calling them and anyone that may know him a coward for not coming forward. I mean, he's, they're all just so mad at the power. Sure. Of this killer just think of the frustration. Has. I mean, yeah. here we have all this technology and DNA and I mean, all this technology and we can't, we don't know who this person is. Libby basically spelled out exactly who this person is in the evidence that she's given us. And, and nobody can still nobody's come forward. The, the facts are out there. And, and one day I pray for the families, hopefully one day soon, someone is going to come forward and confess that that's my dad or that's my uncle, what have you. But this is why I'm putting this out here. I'm going to post the photos and the audio to our website killerhangoverpodcast.com as well as to our social media you've all probably heard this story before or maybe you haven't and hopefully if you haven't maybe then you know somebody that you can reach this out to and share this with but I'd like you when I make the post on our social media to share it yourself Uh, this this somebody knows something and it's maybe you guys haven't heard this story before and that's why it hasn't reached more people. I, I don't know. Like I said, I've we're never a heard the story before. So like I said, we're a smaller podcast, but if it's even just reaching another 500 people, like I just, it needs to be on un- those pictures need to be under more eyes. Yeah. And that's probably the only way it's going to, I mean, obviously the FBI was even involved in this. It was just and still are and still are. It's crazy. There is a tip line you can call. I'll post the number in the description of this episode as well as a link to our website, but it's 844-459-5786. You can call the Indiana State Police at 800-382-7537 or the Carroll County Sheriff's Office at 765-564-2413. Yeah, those poor babies. I know, and those poor families and oh. a poor community. I, I mean, just being haunted, knowing that there's still somebody out there or that's, I mean, I think it's so scary no matter where you are that that's possible where you live. Like, it's just, right. it's terrible, <sighs> especially when everything's basically spelt out for you. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I mean, the guy might not even be from the community. He might just be a drifter going right. through. That's, that's why it is very important for this to get out all over. Because you're exactly right. He might be from Maine. You just, you never know. But the weird thing is he's dressed in like, it's a nice day outside. I'm going to put a windbreaker on. I'm going to put this little cap thing on my head. And I'm going right. to go take a walk on this trail. He doesn't okay, look so- like he's, you know, searching for something or whatever. He just looks like he's taking a leisurely walk on the trail. Okay, so play devil's advocate that this guy is literally just another passerby, just another guy walking on the trail. They just happened to take a video of him. Nothing sinister. This isn't the man who killed them. Okay. Somebody would still know who he is so that he can come forward to give the facts. Yeah. I saw the girls or yeah, that's me. Look at me. I I didn't do anything, you know, test. They have a lot from the scene, the crime scene, how the girls were killed. I would think to interrogate and question this man 
just like they did the other men to know mm-hmm. that they can write him off. So as much as it sucks and it's probably really scary, like, oh, crap, I was just out bird watching and now there's video of me everywhere. <laughs> yeah. But even if that was the case, wouldn't somebody from his family or somebody that knew him come forward too? So then that's what makes you a little suspicious as well, why hasn't anybody come forward? Jeez. And I guess there is no that stupid question but a video camera or something in the parking lot there's probably nothing there there really isn't a parking lot it's very similar to like the trails that you and I go to it's maybe a little dirt lot that maybe two or three cars can fit in you know if they parallel park there but Mm -hmm. it's god my mind's just going all over the place right now I know horrible horrible story hey guys Shortly after recording this episode, there was some breaking news in the Delphi case. So before we jump to the paranormal portion of this episode, I wanted to share that information with you. At the time that I'm recording this, there's only a few resources out there, but as the case continues to break or as they find new information, I promise to keep you guys updated. James Chadwell III was recently booked for kidnapping and sexual assault. Apparently, there was a 10-year-old girl in the area that had been reported missing, and she was actually discovered alive, thank goodness, but abused in his basement. Police in the area say that there are many factors that lead them to believe that James Chadwell III might have something to do with Abby and Libby's murders. This man is pretty yucky, and I guess he lured this little girl into his house, saying that she could come in and pet his new dog. It's terrible, and like I said, I promise to keep you all updated if anything else breaks on this case. Hopefully, the families of Libby and Abby will get answers soon. Okay, let's go to the paranormal. (sighs) All right, Mom. So you think you can uh, lighten things up for us? (laughs) I don't know about lighten. Yeah, I can All right, so I'm going to tell a weird story on top of a weird story. (laughs) Okay, well, that comment was weird in itself, so (laughs) don't really know what to expect here. All right, so I was looking into the paranormal in Indiana, and as with most states, there's quite a few sites to check out, right? Right. So you're Googling, and you're you're looking at that. You're on the Uh, Google I'm on the Google. Uh, One was really interesting. It was a spooky cemetery that if we have Indiana again, I might do. And of course, then you have the Demon House in Gary, Indiana. Yes. Yeah. Isn't didn't Zach Bagans buy that and then tear it down? Did it's been torn down? Yep. Yeah. That place just gives me the willies. I'm sorry. I didn't want to investigate. Did you watch his documentary on that? Isn't that how, why he wears glasses now is because of that house. Yeah. That's exactly why he wears these really big framed, thick Thick lensed glasses because of that house. Because of what happened in there. Um, Yes, I did see it. And that place just creeps me out. And yes, I do believe it. So I I didn't want to mess with that. Sorry. I don't blame you. And that wouldn't have brought us up anyway. (laughs) That's just plain darn scary. Anyway, I found this little town of Irvington. Uh, right outside of Indianapolis. And so, you know, I'm I'm still on the Google and I'm looking at haunted <laughs> places. And just as I was reading about the town's history, my very dear friend, Mary Elizabeth, who had just recently moved to Indy with her husband, texted me. So I'm on the Google and reading about this Irvington and she texts me and she wanted to share with me the ghost tours that have very good reviews and take place in Irvington. Oh my gosh. I love with all those signs just like a line. That is so cool to me. That was so weird. I mean, it wasn't like the day after or something. It was right as I was researching where I mean, to go for haunted places. That is showing you. I mean, <laughs> I mean, literally, I don't know if you believe in spirit guides. Mom, you always roll your eyes at me, but like that's when you're being showed like you are exactly where you're supposed to be right now. Like, I think that is just so cool to me. All right, go on. Sorry. Well, I didn't. I, I After that, I didn't have a choice. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> pretty much didn't have a decision to make. It was made for me. <laughs> so then I had to choose 
which location in town I wanted to do something on because there are quite a few. This ghost tour is a, I mean, it, it, I would love to take this ghost tour. It goes to quite a few different places and I think it'd be really fun to do. So I decided to tell you about three of the locations because I just couldn't decide on one. Okay. 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 So the quaint little town of Irvington, which was founded in 1870. Wow. And does the name ring any bells to you? Irvington? It sounds so familiar, but... All I'm going to have to say is two words and you'll know. So the founding fathers thought the place looked just like Sleepy Hollow. Oh. And named the town Irvington after Washington Irving, who wrote the book. Oh! Oh! (laughs) Light bulb! (laughs) So the first unexplained phenomena is the Lincoln Ghost Train. On April 21st, 1865, President Lincoln's funeral train left Washington, D.C. for a 12-day journey ending up at Lincoln's final resting place, which is Springfield, Illinois. People would line the tracks in every city and town along the route, displaying their sadness at the loss of this great president. The funeral train rolled through Irvington, going about 10 miles an hour, on April 30th, 1865. And it seems the train has never stopped running through the little town. (laughs) On the anniversary of Lincoln's death, people have reported seeing a ghostly train and hearing a whistle. All nine cars roll by, draped in black bunting and carrying the president's body on a platform. People have said they witnessed this. Wow. The train engineers, the military men, And the attendees are all there on the train. Oh, my gosh. You can see them all. Now, it seems that this apparition marks its oncoming, not with a loud whistle, but clocks and watches stop right before, (laughs) just before the train makes its appearance. And then for about seven seconds, as the train progresses down the track, time just seems to stop. So any clock or watch that is around that area just stops for sec- seven seconds. So they really don't know what time it is out there. <laughs> <laughs> well, it only happens once a year, but it's like leap year. Once it adds, it adds up. It's just like <laughs> daylight five savings days behind time. everybody I don't know. else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I don't know this, but it's stated on several sites that Lincoln believed in ghosts. I think I've I think I've heard that before. He was even known to have, quote, crystal ball gazers come to the White House to summon up spirits from their resting place. I don't know yeah. if I've heard that, but that I I don't know. It was I have heard several. that he was, a, he was into the spiritualism stuff. Mm-hmm. I think so. I it have, makes yeah. sense. Uh, yeah. So supposedly he had a dream or a nightmare, a few days before his assassination. Had you ever heard about that? In the dream, he was awakened by loud moaning and crying. When he went downstairs, following the crying to the parlor, he saw a body laid out in repose. People seemed very upset at the death of this person, but he couldn't identify him. When he stepped up to look at the body, of course, this is in his dream, he still could not identify him because he was covered. Um, his face was covered with material. Oh. Supposedly, he had this dream a few days before he died. And obviously, almost it like was a, him. Almost like a premonition. premonition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I, yeah. So that's the ghost train. Okay. Changing tracks here. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know if you'd get it, but you did. <laughs> I'm right on track today, Bomb. Don't worry. <laughs> so most people has, have heard of Herman Mudgett. What? <laughs> most people, not this person. Yes, you have. His, uh, he's also known as H.H. H. Holmes. Oh, yes, I have. Yes. So his real name was Herman Mudgett. He changed it. So he was a swindler. He's often said to be the first serial killer. We will cover him. Don't worry. Oh, all. yeah. And the designer of the murder castle in Chicago. That was one of the true crime stories that just absolutely to this day still fascinates me. That, oh, he was a creepy guy. A creepy, creepy guy. Anyway. 
So it was at this murder castle that Holmes killed his victims in horrible ways, then sold their skeletons to medical schools. When police started looking into Holmes, he took off. You know, he knew that they were looking into him. And he started hiding in many small towns and ended up renting a little cottage in Irvington. He had with him a little boy, Howard Peitzel, who was eight, nine, or ten, depending on what site you you look at. Oh, no. Oh, no. So, little Howie was the son of Holmes's shady business partner, Ben Petzel, who Holmes had killed before leaving Chicago, along with two of Ben's children. So, the scheme that the two had made up was to get Ben and his children insured, okay? Then a substitute corpse would play the part of the dead Ben and his children, and then they would collect insurance on them, okay? Okay. But they really wouldn't die. Sure. In the end, Holmes collected 10 grand, but he didn't use substitute bodies. He just killed the real insurance person. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, the only one left was little Howie. So on October 10th, 1988, 1984. I think it's 1884. <laughs> wow. <laughs> this just happened, lived a long time. <laughs> so on October 10th, 1884, wow. Holmes poisoned the little boy. He then strangled him to death inside of the little cottage in, in Irvington. He dismembered the body, burning some of it in the fireplace <laughs> and burying the rest in the backyard. That just reminded me of the story I told you about. The legs. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Then Holmes hit the road again. A private investigator found some pieces of bone and teeth in the fireplace. Mm -hmm. Evidence that Holmes had killed the little boy. Holmes was finally arrested in Boston in November 1892. He was tried for the murder of his partner, Ben, and was sentenced to death. Holmes admitted to 27 other killings, but many suspected the numbers closer to 200. Oh, yeah. On May 7th, 1896, Holmes was hung at the gallows. And I know this is not very Christian of me to say, but I'm happy to report that there was a mess up and it took him about 10 to 12 minutes to die. Oh, geez. Yeah. He was such a horrible man. Oh, he was awful. I just feel like he needed to suffer a little bit. I mean, he made his victims just. So I thought. That was interesting. If you remember Ghost Adventures, Mm -hmm. where they went to, I think it was four different killers, like uh, Ed Gaines. Yeah, they did this serial. They did that serial killer mini series thing. Yeah. 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 So they went to this cottage. So you might remember. Okay. I didn't know that that's the cottage that they went to. I remember they did something on H.H. Holmes where, like, he's seen outside the property. I vaguely remember that episode. Yeah. Yeah, they they did show up there. And no, I didn't take anything from Ghost Adventures this time. Good job, Mom. Because <laughs> we all know it was a demon anyway. Anyway. So. <laughs> he was a living demon, though. So. <laughs> so Alan Hunter is a resident of Irvington and has a great interest in the ghosts. And he leads the Irvington Ghost Tours. An October tradition that has grown in popularity in the last 15 to 18 years that Hunter has led the tours. These tours are the subject of information that Mary Elizabeth texted me about. So it all comes together. Yes, it does. The Holmes Cottage is, of course, on the tour. The cottage is surrounded, it's really the cutest little house, and it's surrounded by a white picket fence. But when you, you're on the tour, you'll hear that it sits on evil ground. So supposedly the area of the cottage is said to be about 10 degrees colder than the rest of the town. Oh, wow. That would be kind of cool to check out. Two former residents of the home, Wendy and Pepper, told Hunter's stories about their time in the house. They reported that they would take in stray animals and no matter cat or dog, the animals refused to go down into the basement. Oh, that's telling you something for sure. Yep. Even if a dang cat doesn't go down there. Well, talking about the dang cat, they told a story of a cat that they had adopted. The cat would turn up in the strangest places. Like, <laughs> and they, not not like you, they actually like cats. And so they wouldn't do this. Of course, if this happened in my house, I think it was you. But so the cat would end up in places like locked closets. 
I would never put a cat in a closet. Get this. And closed kitchen drawers. Oh, that's terrible. I know. But I am on Spirit's team here. (laughs) Put that cat somewhere else. Get it out of my house. Must have been a little cat because I don't know how you fit it in kitchen drawers. But yeah, that's true. Not all the stories Wendy and Pepper reported were scary like this one. One morning after a fight over the mess in Wendy's room, Wendy had gone to work. Pepper had even called her at work to complain. <laughs> when Pepper got back to the house. I guess Pepper sounds really, a little peppery. <laughs> <laughs> she's a little upset about this room. When she got back to the house, I guess after lunch, she checked Wendy's room and found it had been cleaned up. She called Wendy to thank her, but Wendy admitted that she had not come home over lunch and certainly had not cleaned her room. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So, hmm, Pepper thinks, maybe I should check the room again. (laughs) You know, just to make sure she wasn't seeing things the first time. Seeing things, yeah. This time when she looked into the room, yes, it was still clean, but now the covers on the bed had been turned down. Almost oh. to invite her to come into the room to take a nap or something. Calm down, Pepper. <laughs> <laughs> so Pepper admitted that she had actually run out of the house. Yeah, it just that's scary. Freaked her out so much she'd ran out. Well, of the even house. just think if it was the little boy that was killed there, and somebody's yelling about a messy room. Yeah, you know they only lived um, uh, homes, and the little boy were only there for at the longest a month. They weren't there for very long. No, I'm and wondering where the hauntings come from. Uh, they don't know whether it is Holmes's ghost or the little boy. Nobody can quite well, decide wondering, who that is. I'm wondering if even just the fact that something so dark happened there, that, that just it's just a dark energy or it just left behind some kind of an energy. Well, I think certainly there's something in the basement. Now, I don't mm-hmm. think a dark energy would clean up a room and turn down the bed sheet. So it's... um. So even earlier, like in the 1900s, things had been reported oh, okay. in that house. Edward Branham and his family rented the home for a short time. They complained of a very foul smell coming from the basement. Uh-oh, so lime was thing. spread around the foundation in the basement, but the lime? smell continued. Yeah. Do you know, n- not like put not- the lime in the coconut, <laughs> not that lime. I'm just imagining people squeezing lime juice all over their basement. Child. I don't mean to be an Alex here, but what is up with you and your citrus fruits, mom? (laughs) No, this is not lime. This is not the lime. This is lime. It's um, it's like salt. It's a mineral. Man, I'm making a margarita in my head. Lime and salt. (laughs) (laughs) No, you put it on on like people have put it on bodies to make them decompose and to take the smell away okay so why are they putting so, this in, oh they're putting the basement to deodorize their basement yeah probably to take yeah because they don't know where the smell's coming from mm, and interesting but the smell still continued oh ha, ha, ha. <laughs> they should have squeezed some limes i guess <laughs> just have more margaritas the smell <laughs> will go away you'll get used to it Oh, the family moved out after Mr. Branham was hit by an automobile and died. So according oh, to this. Jeez, that just took our story really dark. Mom. So according to this one site, the, you know, that I read, a lot of mysterious things happened to people who lived in that place. Hmm. I don't know. Of course, you know, who knows? Zach probably wrote that. But anyway. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Oh, another house in Irvington that had paranormal activity is the Stevenson Mansion. This is a beautiful, and I thought of you, because it's a beautiful white because mansion. Because I'm beautiful? Oh, thank you, Yes, Mom. sweetheart. But now back to the house. Uh, it has the big southern style co- uh, columns oh, in the front. Oh, I love that, yes. I mean, it looks like a southern home that you would find that you know it's huge and it has these columns it even has a carriage house in the back of it i mean it's a big property so the owner dc stevenson wanted the house to look like the atlanta kkk headquarters okay so it's not so pretty anymore (laughs) yeah stevenson actually became the grand dragon of the clan in indiana yuck yep he was a really nice guy The Klan was big in Indiana uh, politics, 
In fact, more than half of the seats in the Senate legislature were held by Klansmen oh, at the time. That's disgusting. Uh, so this guy had a lot of clout. Okay. He was the grand dragon of them all. Mm-hmm. And he was a pretty darn powerful man who thought himself invincible. He was, uh, he drank a lot. Stevenson had two wives, each of which he dumped. He was into, let's say he was into rough stuff, if you know what I mean. Okay. Which led him into raping several women who Stevenson would bribe and then their account would fizzle away. So he always got away with it. Man, he's yucky. Oh, he's awful. He was awful. Awful. And if you see a picture of him, he really doesn't look like he would. I don't know. Yeah. I have to post that picture too. Oh, while at dinner at a at the governor's mansion, Stevenson met Madge Oberholzer. She's a teacher and a literacy advocate. She had no idea who Stevenson was, and when on their second date, he told her that he made his living as the Grand Dragon of the Clan, she immediately broke off the relationship. Good as being a, a teacher and a literacy advocate, she was advocating for. All races. She was mm-hmm. all, all religions, all socio- social ec- economic groups. I mean, she wanted everyone to read, obviously. The total so, opposite of what this Total opposite is. of this idiot. Yeah. So Stevenson, who was used to getting his way, could not accept this breakup. Oh, I see this. I see this going really dark. On the night of March 27th, 1925, Stevenson called Madge to say he had a job for her to take down dictation. She needed the extra money to help her parents out, so she accepted. Bad idea. And this guy's just mm. this guy's just awful. Stay away from him. After arriving, Stevenson drugged her, took her to his private train, and headed to Hammond, Indiana. On the train, Stevenson beat, raped, and bit Madge. Several bites. Okay, now these bites c- come in. Between the drug and the physical assault, Madge passed out. One Mm -hmm. account that I read was like she had internal bleeding. It was that bad. After getting to Hammond, Madge bought a box of mercury bichloride tablets. And um, I guess she said, you know, they got there and she goes, look, I'm I'm really in a lot of pain. Can I just go and, and get, you know, something to help with the pain? So he sent his bodyguards with her and so he she was able to procure these and those tablets were an antiseptic that we that was usually dissolved in water and then applied externally to clean the wound like i said she had a lot of bite marks instead of cleaning the wound madge swallowed six of these tablets oh poor girl realizing she had poisoned herself Stevenson drove back to Irvington with Madge and placed her in a room over his garage. Remember, I said he had a carriage house on the site. Okay. Which, by the way, this entire house is not as pretty. I don't care how pretty it is. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) This place just sounds horrible right now. The next morning, he took Madge to her parents' house, explaining her wounds by saying she had been hit by a car. With bites? Well, she was dressed, and so... They couldn't see the bites at that time. They just saw her bruised face and that I she was, was like, I, I don't I don't know about any cars that bite people. Well, like I said, they couldn't see the bites at that time. Uh, after the doctor looked at her injuries, he knew what had happened to her and that she was actually going to die. Mostly oh, due to the infection caused by the bites being left untreated. Oh, wow. So that's why I said I, and these were deep bites. These weren't just little like you know, kindergarten bites or preschool bites. These were big bites. He was, oh, good. But she was still alive? She was still alive. Wow. Uh, yeah, the poison that she took was, of course, not helping her, but it she was going to die due, due to the infection, not to the poison. Before hmm. she died, Madge told her story to her parents as well as to an attorney. Stevenson thought he was untouchable. Wrong. He was convicted of second degree murder because he had not helped get he did not help her get help and she died of her wounds. I think it should have been first degree murder. But anyway, (sighs) he was sentenced to life in prison. KKK membership decreased sharply after these events and eventually ended the power of the Klan in Indiana. 
So I had to introduce you to the players, and now I have, I guess, to get into the paranormal. So the smell of cigar smoke has been reported by several people uh, when they go around the property. Also, there's a slight smell of um, liquor because I guess he held a lot of parties. Ah, okay. Now and then you can hear faint strands of music from the house. And I I don't, I guess I can say this. He was known to have uh, wild parties. He was known to have orgies at his house because that's the kind of crap he was into. This just like doesn't, yeah, that doesn't surprise me. He sounds like a yucky, yucky guy. The sound that's also heard is the sound of a woman laughing, then crying, and then screaming. Oh, jeez. Oh, the owner of the mansion uh, right now is not a fan of the ghost tours, and he has actually accused Hunt of stirring something up inside the house. Now, what that is, I don't know, because he, you know, doesn't talk about it. So he doesn't think that the history of his house adds to the hauntings at it's all? It's enough, but it's I know. But it's the ghost tours that are walking outside <laughs> on the sidewalk that are making his house act up. Okay, that yeah. makes sense. <laughs> Come on, man. So poor Madge has been seen quite a few times walking the streets of Irvington, especially in the park. And according to one source, the mansion has since been the scene of other deaths and murders and hauntings are still being reported. So that's the little town of Irvington. Little town with a lot of spirits. Oh, and I there was probably another two to three places that I could have talked about. At least two or three places I could have talked about. Wow. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, and what's, I don't know if it's a good thing, bad thing, but it seems like there's a lot of negative history there too with the KKK and H.H. Holmes. And Isn't it crazy? So, uh, someplace I read that Manson even passed through there. Oh, man. And, yeah. All these like really bad people. <laughs> this It's just a little town. It's just this little town. Yeah. So. Wow. Well, those are interesting. I'm really happy that you did all three. Yeah. Yeah. And this um, Alan Hunt, he was a uh, high school, I think, history teacher and a coach. And he said the kids were a lot more attentive if he told stories. (laughs) And so that's how he got into just telling stories. And then he's always been interested in ghosts. Mm -hmm. And he said, maybe that's why I like to hunt ghosts because my last name's Hunt. (laughs) But anyway. (laughs) He has cheesy humor like me. I love it. I know. Yeah. And he said when it first started, there was just a few people who would, you know, come on these tours and the homeowners and stuff did not like them at all. Um, But now (laughs) it's it's really grown. I mean, like I said, it's become an October tradition. And the homeowners actually, well, except for this mansion, but the homeowners actually really like it. <laughs> and wow. some are really proud that their homes are haunted. So Well, that's neat. I um I, I just out of curiosity to the listeners, but I feel like a lot of paranormal fans, I don't know if you say that, are history fans, if you think about it. Cause I don't know, I love learning about the hauntings of places, but I really like to hear like where the hauntings came from and the history of the homes and everything. So, well, I think it has it ties in together. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, I mean, so that's if I told my... you, if I just told you about this mansion, you could smell smoke and hear music, and then there's this ghost of this young woman that walks around the town. What what good would that have done? Well, on the other side too, I think that's where my love of history came from. Is that my history teacher in middle school, Mr. H? He made history fun by the fun stories like that and the little yeah, tidbits he was that got good. you kind yeah. of like sucked into these stories. It's not just here's a war, here are the dates, this is the location, this many people died. There was so many personal accounts, and he'd get you involved, and so on that aspect too. And then heck. I mean, he never did, but I had a history teacher in high school, actually, who was like, oh, and you know, here's the history of this castle and da 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 Oh, and here, this is supposedly haunted now. So I don't know. It just kind of adds to the excitement of learning history, too, on the other it side. It does. And it makes it stick more. Mm-hmm. I mean, how are you supposed to remember all this stuff when it's just dates, you know, and places? Sure. But when you have a story attached, of course, you're going to remember it. Well, that makes the history more personal, too, that, you know, somebody lived there, somebody threw parties, somebody smoked a cigar, like, Mm -hmm. and you still smell that cigar today. Like, that's just, 
I don't know. I'm a history nerd. Maybe I'm just trying to find other history nerds. No, I, I think history has a lot to do with uh, with the how and why. Right. I agree. Oh, well, th- this was another fun episode, Mom. Yeah, and we've covered Indiana before, but, you know, you can always come up with new stuff. Yep. So next week, my dear, we are going to move on to Utah, and I've got the true crime, which I am very excited to share with you. And I have the paranormal, which I am super stoked to share with you. <laughs> to all those moms out there, again, happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Like I said, all of the sketches and video and audio and everything from the true crime story will be on our website, killerhangoverpodcast.com. Feel free to share that website. Share this case with your friends, family, on your social media. Pictures and sources from Mom's Paranormal will also be on the website. There's also links to different ways to listen to the episodes on the website. A special thanks to our Patreon. We are going to do a little goodie giveaway for our Patreon. We're so thankful for you guys. We have a little gift we want to send. So if you guys all join, whoever joins by June 1st, we'll get a little goodie in the mail. So when you join, make sure you message us your address and you will be receiving a little goodie. All patrons will. All patrons. Yep. Another little goodie. Yep, it's $5 a month, and not only will you be getting this little goodie, but you'll also be getting extra episodes. Episodes are released on Saturdays, and our greatest thanks. <laughs> yes, thank you. And it's very helpful to us with our with our audio and our laptops and the time that goes into researching and the cocktails. The $5 a month from all of you really is so helpful, so we're very appreciative of that. And that is how this podcast is brought to you, is by all of those on Patreon. So we wouldn't have this show without Patreon. So thanks to all of our listeners. Another virtual cheers to all of our listeners. And uh, cheers, Mama. Cheers. I love you, kid.